Hello, and welcome to Wavicle, the podcast that reflects on the process of being part of Social Action Inquiry Scotland. We delve into what has emerged for us during this process of being part of the inquiry. We highlight our learnings and unlearnings, and we explore the topics that have been rooted within us. I'm Amanda, and today on the podcast, I am joined by Catherine Rose, or CR for short, who is one of the inquiry's co-chairs. And I'm also joined by Daryl, who is one of the inquiry's co-leads. And we explore together the concept of dreaming, the kind of dreaming that you can do when you're awake. We invite you to reflect along the way with us and I offer some questions to ponder at the end of the episode. Now let's get into the conversation. So I just want to say welcome to CR and Daryl for joining us today on the podcast about dreaming. And this is our first episode, which is really exciting. I just wanted to start with a check-in. And our audience might not be familiar with a check-in. So just wanted to give a quick overview in the sense that a check-in allows everyone in the room, even though we're doing this virtually, we're in a in a, a room online, <laughs> gives everyone in the room a chance to land in the space and to use their voice, allows them to enter into the conversation. For this particular check-in, we've got a question and feel free to use the prompt if it's helpful and if it's not, you don't have to. Since we're talking about dreaming today, is there a concept of dreaming that you feel represents how you're coming in today whether it's a a lucid dream or a very dramatic dream or something along those lines yeah I think I'm having the kind of dream that you have uh when you've been traveling and you sort of fall asleep on the train (laughs) and wake up uh and wonder you know where kind of where you are and you're still in motion so even that question of where am I you know is changing (laughs) because you're you're in transit and so there's a kind of that sense of you've been dreaming and so you're in a different realm and then you wake up and you're still in motion in some kind of way. I feel that way today partially because I have been traveling this morning and also because we're traveling through the internet to connect with each other which feels kind of amazing and special to be able to do it this way and also because so much of the work of the inquiry is in motion all the time (laughs) and a lot of it is based on dreams that people have had so you're kind of having waking dreams and dreams that are in transit in motion all at the same time so that's how I am today I'm in transit dreaming in transit thank you CR Daryl would you like to go next I am feeling a little bit like those dreams that you have like just before you go on holiday or, or you've got to be up early and you're kind of dreaming about the day that's about to happen. Because I've been thinking about today for a while. Thanks, Daryl. I think for me, I'm in one of those dreams. I guess maybe a light dream. But when you wake up, you're like, oh, what was that again? And you, you kind of want to explore it a bit. And I think that's how I feel like I'm arriving today, is that there's definitely a lot of things going on in my mind. And I'm like, oh, what was that thing again? Like, did I, was that real? Was that not real? (laughs) 
So that's, that's how I'm arriving today. So this podcast episode is part of a mini series, which is under one of our values. And this value that we've chosen for the inquiry is challenging convention. So I just wanted to ask the two of you, why do you feel that we were drawn to the value of challenging convention for the inquiry? I believe and feel that we are at a moment in time in which what has happened, particularly maybe in the last 20th century, in which there's been a very conventional way of thinking and doing, is really coming into conflict with the reality of what our human civilization needs to live in balance with what the planet's limitations are. And so everything, or almost everything, that we are doing now in a conventional sense should fall under that bracket of being reviewed upon to see if I could do things differently. And my own experiences having worked in communities in which, you know, there is a lot of vibrancy of communities working together. There is a really energetic group of community workers uh, and there seems to be a constant stream of younger people wanting to go into that field. But the structures around that in terms of the systems in which we create wealth and the who the who have and the who don't kind of mean i think for me that there's certain limitations about what can actually be achieved within communities i was particularly interested to really learn and understand what happens when you trust communities to create these interventions based on the needs that they see and see where that leads and perhaps have that in comparison with the conventional thinking. Not necessarily to say this is the way that we must do things from here on in, but just to say that there is a different way of doing things. So I think there's something for me around assumptions probably we have at times, or assumptions that we're sort of forced into having. So for me, the idea of challenging convention is about asking why and making things that are invisible more visible so that we have a sense of intentionality behind the structures that we make or the agreements that we have with one another. You know, Daryl's talking about the kind of big systemic shifts that we're seeing around unawareness of climate change, of that emergency that we're starting to talk about, of many, many, many generations of structural inequality, which we're, we're a generation now living through that and trying to unpick that and unlearn that. And I think for me, that language of unlearning, challenging convention is about unlearning. It's about asking questions of why we've come into certain kinds of agreements or why we've come into certain kinds of behaviors. It's about seeing, you know, being that fish in the water that can see the water. And so you start to be able to have an ability to intervene and change things around you if you understand why some of those patterns are the way they are, or why some of those dynamics are the way they are. And I think for us, you know, there's really concrete, inspirational stories that we've been living with in the inquiry. So people involved in the inquiry talk a lot about Helen Crummy and the Craig Miller arts movement. And this, you know, there's that story of, you know, there's there's no violin classes in the school. Why is that? (laughs) Why, why, why? And then also leads to action, right? Responding to that. 
but it does take, I think, initially a kind of question of why that's often in the belly, you know, that it actually is something that the body reacts to before the words come of why and before the next step in the action happens. I think that's why this idea of challenging convention is such a fundamental part of the inquiry, because through the process of inquiring, we're trying to understand some of these agreements (laughs) that we seem to be entering into and whether they really are true for us, whether they make sense for us. So that talking about communities, that is us. We are in these agreements. You know, these are our neighborhoods. This is the work that we're all trying to do. So we have a lot of questions, all of us, don't we, about how we actually make change, how we actually make change happen for ourselves and for the people around us, for the things that we love and care about. So, yeah, it's really deep, I think, for us as a value. Thanks for asking us about it, Amanda. Could I respond a little bit, just building on on that? And what CR just finished there with in that sense of questions and, and questioning. Conventional thinking is perhaps to find the answers. And um, for us pushing back at convention about continually asking questions and perhaps even with this inquiry, it's not really about the answers that we have at the end. It's about the questions that we're leaving behind for those in power or those in communities or might be the challenge to convention that we offer from our time together. Thanks, Daryl. Oh, that's great to like hear both of your thoughts on that, both of your reflections on that and being able to build on that as well. So I guess that takes us a little bit into the topic of our episode, which is dreaming. And I wanted to ask both of you, what does dreaming mean to you or what does dreaming look like to each of you? I think dreaming, for me, there's something expansive about that. It's the space of possibility. It's the space of opening up, opening up our hearts, opening up our minds, opening up our experience to see you know, what's beyond and to pick up that language of convention. You know, what's beyond the norm? <laughs> what's beyond the things that we've kind of inherited, that we've been told are the way things are? Dreaming allows us to see outside of those structures and outside of those patterns, outside of those norms. So I love that idea of dreaming being something that, you know, (laughs) there's a magic to it that helps you lift up and out and beyond. And it's things that we can do as individuals and it's things that we can do collectively. And I love that. I love the idea of people coming into community together, as we've done in the inquiry, to dream. We have individual dreams and we have collective dreams and that's something, there's something about nurturing and tending to the collective dreams and that expansiveness that we're all trying to hold and and live into. But I think I'd also say that there's something, there's a shadow side to a lot of our experiences and a lot of what drives social change and social action comes from a place at times for people of pain or exclusion. So for me, the dreaming space is also the space where I can touch into some of that, some of those painful experiences. It allows me to touch in to the shadow because it's part of that, the recovery that is involved, you know, in the creative, in the generative work of social action for me is also a healing process that, that we do. I like to hold both of those things together so that the dreaming is not just, oh, what's possible in this kind of endless positive optimistic arc of growth and transition it's also something about the healing work and encountering the shadow and encountering the hard things not avoiding those for me they have to be part of the dream they have to come with us as well 
I think for me, the process of dreaming and what it means to me kind of started on the kind of wrong foot, I guess, in the sense that I always remember this aspect of if you were a daydreamer, then you were wasting time, you were lazy, you weren't being productive, you were stuck in your own head and that wasn't the reality that was in front of you. And I think that's when dreaming was first introduced to me in the inquiry. I remember thinking like, I'm not sure what you mean by this because surely that's not a good thing. And so it took a while to understand that actually the process of dreaming is one that we're actually denying ourselves on a regular basis. It's something that could be really quite enlivening that you could dedicate time to dream of what could be and tapping back into what you were saying before about challenging conventions DR about why things are the way they are now and there's always a question we ask ourselves within the inquiry of how can we be good ancestors and I think it's always stuck with me what we do now isn't the end and our dreams could be passed on or even the seeds of our dreams could be passed on to other people. So I just wanted to ask both of you, what are your practices for dreaming? Do you have to dedicate time to it? Do you go for a walk? What allows you to step into that space of dreaming? That's such a nice question. And I also love what you said about the seeds of our dreams being things that we pass on and pass forward. And that question about being a good ancestor, we learned from Emergent Strategy, the book that we read and reference a lot by Adrian Marie Brown and a collection of other folks that Adrian references within that work. That question of being a good ancestor for me, it is a dreaming question, isn't it? It's sort of like, it puts us into some kind of future place, you know, or connects me to a future. Thank you for bringing that in, those, those different time periods, those different lenses. But yeah, to your question around what helps me to dream. So there is something about things that blow my mind. <laughs> you know, so reading Emergent Strategy and Pleasure Activism, those two books blew my mind. They gave me a whole new set of language and a different lens on how to look at the work I was doing. And that language was, a, it was an expanding language. It, it helped me to honor things that I think I was already doing. And so that dreaming space, taking time to dream, taking time to unlearn, that is work. That is a kind of labor and it's very productive actually. It's very generative, but it, it, it doesn't produce some kind of output <laughs> necessarily. Like the unlearning, the dismantling of something is a disappearing of structures. It's a disappearing of norms. So what is left you know, by design is then a kind of open space for something new to come in. So it's, you know, totally reverses some of our thinking about just linear, progressive, onward production of more, more, more stuff. <laughs> so there's something about being inspired, you know, like that helps me to dream and it feeds my soul, you know, to be around art, to be around things that people have made, that they've created, that they've put their love into and tended to. And I think sometimes I do that alone. I need to be in those experiences sometimes on my own, like in reflection, ideally, you know, on a park bench <laughs> or, you know, somewhere where I can hear the birds sing or the wind blow, like something that helps me kind of connect with the world around me. But I absolutely love dreaming with others. It, it is one of my favorite things to do in a pair, <laughs> to be in a reflective practice with someone else and to see how their mind works and how their heart is working at the moment and see what they're thinking about and dreaming. 
And I love that kind of improv like exchange where you can like, yes. And also, you know, I want, I want to do all of what you just said. And, and I, this is what I want to add to that. And then somebody else comes back. I love what you just said. And I want to add to that. Totally powerful, that space of yes and and back and forth and the kind of frisson that like builds, builds, builds energy. And that's what I think dreaming is. It's like an energy. It's a movement. Those are the things that help me. Inspiration, time to reflect and definitely being in dialogue with someone else. Really, really important. Yeah, for me, it's, it's similarities actually with, with what Sia was saying. Uh, particularly that sense of uh, reflect the, the reflecting part on my own. I kind of need to, to distill different thoughts and experiences that happened to try and make sense or maybe do a wee bit of doodling or I love to say poetry because it's really just words that rhyme. I like words that rhyme. And it's not always it's not always positive, it just sort of depends on also my emotional state. Sometimes I like to write angry. That kind of is also helpful for me just to kind of make sense of things and to get out. And it does help me dream. Sometimes just that reaction to the way things are. But in terms of what helps me to dream, first of all, before I get to that reflecting part, is usually being with others, listening to them and then their story, which I think touches on what Seattle is saying in terms of the inspiration. But there is a bit of that, but it's also just that the ideas flow, things flow in from that. I'm not necessarily looking to to be inspired in conversations with people. Often, you know, it just happens naturally. But I'm interested in what they've been doing and. Like through conversation, these other things come out, and that really challenges my perspective on things. Makes me think differently about situations that I might be able to use in a different way to help me. But certainly, what you were talking about, Amanda, actually, that, that daydreaming, you know, the first sort of introduction to dreaming at school. Oh, Arrow, stop. You're looking out the window, you're daydreaming again. Probably got about seven years worth of. <laughs> with that. But really, a lot of the time I was um, also just interested in other people and I was having conversations with other people and that's always been there. And I think that's, that's continued in the way that I just have a, a curiosity about what other people are doing. I feel more alive when, when, when that's happening. Sometimes I do kind of meditate a wee bit and try and get, but think about anything, but just ponder. But sometimes I just need to let things work through my mind as they do. And then all of a sudden, I don't know what happens, but something will emerge from these different influences at some way down the, down the line. Those are the things that help me to, to dream. That's really interesting. I'm definitely taking aspects from both of your practices and feeling like it's a little amalgamation myself. I think for me, it always has to start with a kind of Maybe there's a, a tension or a friction of doing something a certain way and just kind of acknowledging that. And then the question comes of like, oh, could this be done differently? And I've tried my best over the past year to capture the fleeting moments of an idea because I always used to push them aside, being like, I've got this one thing to focus on. And now I've actually got a book, it actually says daydreaming on it, which purely coincidental. 
And now anytime there's something, proper dream that comes into my mind of like, oh wow, imagine that could happen or if that was a thing. I now write it down like straight away. And so for me, it feels like what you were saying, Daryl, about that time to reflect on it. And then for me, the next step is actually to share it with someone so that it becomes more of a reality rather than just written down on a piece of paper saying, oh, wouldn't it be great if we could just do this? Or wouldn't it be so much better if this was the way the world was? And I think that helps me to kind of, yeah, make it a bit more of a reality. And that I think that's how kind of a lot of the stuff have started. I'm like, oh, wouldn't it be good if we could actually do that? <laughs> Love that, Amanda. Love that. Just dreams into action. Yeah, it's powerful. I think there's something for me around what have the practices of dreaming been for us in the inquiry? Like, what can we point to that were moments of dreaming? And I think there was definitely some dreaming right at the beginning for me when I joined the inquiry, Sam. As the other co-chair, Sam and I spent some time together dreaming of how we would work together and how we would bring others into the work. So knowing that there was, you know, the intention was there for this to be beyond just Sam and I as co-chairs, but there was going to be a team of people and and that team would continue to grow and kind of radiate out. So there was something right from the beginning of how we took some of that time together which is vulnerable, right? You don't, Sam and I didn't know each other when we joined the inquiry. So, you know, we're both based in Edinburgh. We actually have some mutual connections, but we'd never crossed paths. We'd never worked with each other. I'd never heard of Sam. Sam had never heard of me. So you come in and you're, you're all of a sudden like, let's dream, (laughs) let's dream this inquiry into being. There's been dreaming that's happened before we've arrived. We're picking some of those threads up and now we're sort of trying to manifest it in some way. I think we did do a good job of being vulnerable with each other, but I think we had to lean into that. And I I suppose I want to say that, that that's a choice to choose in that moment of encountering someone. Do, Do you choose to be vulnerable and open? And that was in the context of other challenges that we were both having and changes that we were both experiencing in our lives. And so we were able to be honest about some of those things, which I think helped us to do some of that dreaming together. But I would also say there were tensions around how much space we had to dream because there was a kind of sense of, you know, this is the middle of the pandemic and the inquiry has been slightly delayed as a result of COVID-19 and things, there had been a kind of pause in some ways on some of the inquiry work starting. And so when we came in, there was also a sort of sense of maybe we're a bit on the back foot and we're trying to make up for lost ground. And, and that's actually a sense of scarcity. And that's a thing that I think inhibits dreaming. <laughs> like, Dreaming is to try to give you expansion and openness, but if you start from a place of there's no time or there's a lack in some way, it just constrains right down. You know, the air comes out of the balloon and that's where you can start to play out all of the kind of normal conventions of how things are done. I suppose I wanted to bring that in to be real about, you know, we're talking about how valuable it is for us as a practice. And it is a part of the inquiry, but it's not easy. It's not necessarily an easy part of the inquiry every day to make space for dreaming. There are some very real challenges in terms of the people that we're working with and in terms of our own work. When you're confronted with things that are painful or scary, it's hard to make space, I think, to say, 
let's dream, <laughs> let's dream some of our way out of this. So it's maybe those messages that we had from school about daydreaming being bad, but I think there's also something about an urgency in the world around us and the issues that we're trying to tackle and that that dreaming can feel counterintuitive somehow to the urgency. You have to really make space and say how important it is and then honor it. Um, that's not always been easy for us, I think. I can definitely riff off of that CR in that I was thinking the same thing when I started this role I joined with a cohort who were on the same funding stream as me they were in different organizations and different charities some of them were in different roles but some of them were also in communication roles and it was I think it was November last year we all had like a last meeting together and the question of what have you been doing what's your biggest achievements were coming out and it was difficult to hear a lot of people saying, you know, all the things that they had done in a year. And when it came around to me, it was like, what have you been doing? I've been dreaming. <laughs> and that reaction was, it was mixed. Some people obviously confused by that. Other people really intrigued on what, what that would look like. And I think in those moments, it's very difficult. Like you say, when there's, feels like there's a time constraint and oh, everybody else is getting all this stuff done and they're being very productive, but they're going about it in a very conventional way. And yeah, it's, it's hard when you're trying to dream, but it's not, like you say, it's not easy. There is a tension there that you're hoping that it's obviously going to be quite fruitful, but nobody really sees that <laughs> until something comes out of it. So I just wanted to say at that point, I definitely had those feelings with dreaming. Daryl, I'm just wondering whether you wanted to touch on that as well. Is there anything that's kind of hindered you from being able to dream within the inquiry? You know, dreaming, reflecting, it's, it, there's a lot of effort that goes into it, you know. Whether it's just finding the space, but then it's the actual building that mental, preparing yourself for that mental space. One of my favourite ways to dream is with others by hearing stories of others. So then there's the practical elements of that. Trying to build that into times that work with others, times that work based on what the inquiry is needing at that moment in time. Also looking at where I'm at. So th th those factors play into it. And also going back to that uh, idea of challenge and convention, it's not a sort of default setting, this idea of building into my work day a space to dream. In, in other words, I'm technically self-employed, where I'm not going to have someone saying, hey, Daryl, what do you mean on Wednesday afternoon from one till four, you're going out to go and speak to people and dream? <laughs> you know, but I see the benefits of that. But all that stuff is still quite new as a concept and building that into my, my work practice. So I wanted to touch on what has come out of dreaming for us within the inquiry. Feel free if any of you want to jump off of that. Yeah, that's nice. I think um, I have a sense of kind of what, you know, like, why are we dreaming? I know we've defined it in terms of what it is, but why is it important to us? And I think, you know, Daryl, you were talking earlier about the social field. You know, I guess there's all kinds of thinking, isn't it, around like how do we understand the world that we're living in and what's possible? I think for everybody involved in the inquiry, we've all experienced 
some kind of marginalization. Mostly it's it's a systemic form of marginalization, you know, it's something that is an inherited pattern and structure that tells us, you know, that we don't belong in some way. And I think there's something for me around why are we dreaming? It's because that is not true. <laughs> and you have to dream beyond that message because otherwise it's too narrow. That social field or that that kind of context that we're living in is too small for us and what is possible. There's something for me around that we do the dreaming, we center the dreaming because otherwise the solutions or the responses or the things that we make are going to be small. <laughs> They'll be within that framework that tells us that maybe we don't belong and, and that we aren't okay. It's deeply powerful to think we do <laughs> and to dream ourselves into this world that this future state, you know, that we might not actually see, but to dream ourselves into it, like all of the different experiences that are in the inquiry, there's a lot of us who have been excluded. <laughs> and so to dream ourselves or to dream people like us into this future is a totally radical act and I go back to the sense that it's labor, it's work to do that, and it's hard. <laughs> and so at times you can do that labor and push forward, but then at times you also have to rest and do other things, you know, do the tending to, <laughs> do the to-do list things, do the things that are the kind of actions that come out of some of that dreaming. There's an ebb and flow between this, I think. Two things that are jumping up straight away, um, and we touched upon it earlier, was the sense of being good ancestors the first dreaming exercise I think that perhaps we've done as a, as, a, as a big group as a part of the prefigurative social action and we, were, we arrived at this sense of you know like what would our ancestors what would they like what would be useful for them during this time that we have and that sort of idea of being with ancestors was the first time I remember it anyway coming into our language and then the second one is activity that one of the guys introduced when we were first selecting the communities that were nominated for us to work with in, in the first wave, Power Flower. That activity of having a conversation with another guide, and that was, you know, although we had been with the guides for a few months, I had not actually spent so much time speaking to one guy for a whole hour or two hours or whatever that conversation was the length of that conversation and we all did that and so like i was saying earlier about what is what helps me to dream that spending time speaking to people and the guy that i spoke to different walk of life different approach to social activism to me i was kind of going into that with a little bit of trepidation but it didn't work out that way i went into it with an open mind and it didn't work out that way and we had a, a really deep meaningful conversation and if i felt really connected to this person um, and then afterwards we had that sort of how we make how we're going to make a decision to nominate which was very personal but that conversation had a big factor on me thinking differently nice yeah thanks daryl i really love the power flower exercise and i think yeah the fact that it came in to the inquiry probably as a result of having that kind of expansiveness of this is where we're trying to get to trying to have conversations about power with each other. How do we do that? And then someone offering in an idea. And I think maybe that's part of the way that dreaming has worked is that we've been able to cast our eye quite far forward to set an intention. So 
that whole idea of what do we want to leave behind, what would be meaningful to the people who come after us, our ancestors, whoever those folks might be, that's such a long gaze that then you can start to think about the things that you do within within that long <laughs> that long line of sight. Um, so for me, some of the some of like to build on Daryl's examples, I think the biggest one for me is that we moved into into this idea of storytelling. So the idea of the inquiry, some of the original language when it was set up had this language of research. And I have a research background. So does Debbie, who's the other co-lead alongside Daryl. And there's something for us about what we kind of knew some of the limits of that language of research and that we have questions about whether research is fundamentally a kind of extractive process that just you know, it's very, very difficult to unsettle some of the power dynamics and hierarchies within it. So we moved to this idea of storytelling. And that was totally a dream. That was a dream that Debbie and I sat down and talked, you know, this is our dream. We, you know, we want to do stories. Let's just try to think about stories. And it's all happening now. (laughs) Uh, But there was really a lot of belief behind that. So that's a big one for me. Thanks, Sia. I wanted to um, bring our audience back in for this conversation and I was wondering if each of you could give just three short things that could help them to start dreaming and our audience bear in mind might be just individuals, those doing social action or those who are part of funding social action. So three things. First is the language of dreaming bring it in, start to use it, get comfortable with it, resist the norms that are there around it. So just using the word. The second is to make dedicated space for yourself to play and do something creative, to be dreaming in your mind while you're awake of what's possible and what you're resisting and try to have that bigger picture perspective. So something creative, something fun, something loose. And the third thing is uh, to try to do some of that with someone else, to try to find some way to be playful with someone else and to dream with them and have that conversation and that energy, feel that building up. Yeah, a bit similar, actually, um, to to CR there. Bring it into the conversations with others, this idea of dreaming. Set time aside. one hour a day or one hour a week, there's something that actually works for you. Third and final bit would, and this is just because it's I'm interested in learning why, look into things like social dreaming. So we're moving on to our last question. And the question is, what are you currently dreaming of? Whether that be for the inquiry or for your own personal journey, we would love to hear it. I'm dreaming of a good ending. There's a lot of seeds that have been planted and those root systems are there and things have been growing and emerging now in the inquiry over the last little while. And even though this is our kind of first conversation in terms of our podcast, there's, there's so much work that's happened underneath that isn't visible to anyone. And this is us making some of that root system visible. You know, so there's shoots and maybe the beginning of a bud of some kind of flower or plant. That's all starting to come up to the surface. And I love that. And I want to make sure that those connections and that root system 
can sustain itself beyond the life of the inquiry. You know, that it will weather some seasons and it might winter and, and come back again in the spring. So for me, I have a long view that the work we're doing here is, is building into an existing system of inspiration and creativity and action and change and activism that we've already been seeing around us. Like we're just part of that and that it's going to continue on. But some of my work will also come to an end and I, I want to feel good about that. So I'm, I'm dreaming quite actively about how to make that possible, that good ending. What I'm dreaming right now is the story gathering part, shall we say. I think, um, like we were talking earlier about this conflict of priorities with the inquiry and fitting that in, and certainly there's elements of the, the story gathering, dreaming about how that may be with the parameters that we've got in time. Certainly what, what CI was saying as well for this, this long, long view, that plays into parts of the personal and the, the, the work that we're doing as well. Yeah, actually, I don't know, I don't even know how to articulate that right now, but there's certainly there's a long view thing that I'm, that, that I'm dreaming about, but it's like one of those dreams that you wake up and three seconds later it's gone. That's kind of where it is. There's something happening, but I've not quite got a clear picture of that yet. Thanks, Sarah. Thanks for sharing that. For me, I think that I've been dreaming for a long time about the communications and about it being inspired by nature and really showcasing the values and the purpose of the inquiry. And I think my next dream is to just see that in action. That for me feels like the established root system that we're talking about, having already nurtured that a little bit, whether I take that somewhere else. And I think that's kind of my dream of like continuing this work as we all will, as little propellering seeds that go across. So I'd just like to offer a check out to both of you now that we've finished our conversation. Just wondering if there's just one word that you feel after having this conversation. My one word is rooted. Yellow. My one word... I'm going to use the word dream because I'm not going to lie, this conversation has really revamped my passion for dreaming and being like, actually, it shouldn't have stopped. I should keep doing it. So I'm going to say dream. So I'd just like to thank both of you. Thank you, CR. Thank you, Daryl, for having this conversation today about dreaming. This will not be the last conversation we have about this, but it's been really nice to be able to sit down together and dedicate the time to talk about it. So thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for joining us on this episode about dreaming. I have two questions that you can ponder on in your own self-reflective time. And these are, how can you make space to dream? And the second is, what are you currently dreaming of in your life or in your work? Thank you again for joining us on the Wave of Cold podcast. Our episodes are released fortnightly and we can't wait for you to join us for the next one. 